Welcome everyone to the lockup bringing you into the ring of combat sports. I am your host Dylan Reynolds. Normally I will be uh, joined by my co corner man, my co-host Dane Clark, uh, but he had some internet and uh, computer issues today. Today we have a loaded show, especially for the first episode of the lockup here. Uh, we are going to be talking about the All Elite Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling Joint Show Forbidden Door at the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. And believe it or not, I was actually there. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit later on the show. But first, let's go to the top of the show. So here on the top of the show, the first thing we're going to be discussing is in the realm of YouTube boxing. Um, of course, we've got a lot of fights coming up. You know, you have Jake Paul's upcoming fight. You have KSI's return to boxing. And then you have this, the Nissan Gibb versus Austin McBroom fight. Uh, coming up here on July 30th at the Crypto Arena in Los Angeles, California. Um, this is a fight that I think is very interesting. There's a lot of different effects that this is going to have on the whole YouTube boxing scene in general. Uh, you know, of course, there's been the talk between Austin McBroom and KSI having a fight. Uh, KSI, of course, coming back uh, with a couple fights before eventually going on to face Jake Paul. There's a lot of things that that could go great. Uh, I heard a True Jordy actually talk about this, that there is this pathway to KSI versus Jake Paul that is almost perfect. You know, if if you have Austin McBroom have an incredible showing, um, you have this KSI, he beats his potential uh, possible uh, opponent, which hasn't officially been released yet, but it's pretty pretty much confirmed that he is going to be fighting Alex Wasabi. Um, you have Austin McBroom versus KSI. Those guys fight, go at it. At that point, KSI will have two fights under his belt. Uh, if KSI wins, which is the most important aspect of this whole thing, um, then he goes on to fight Jake Paul. And then that is kind of the pinnacle of YouTube boxing. I think that is the big fight that is there. Um, you know, everyone talks about like all these bigger fights of like, you know, that or even with Jake Paul kind of having Jake Paul fight these boxers. And of course, he is potentially kind of sort of maybe fighting uh, Tommy Fury, possibly Tommy Fury also uh, pulling out once again, something I will get into here uh, in just a little bit. That is the biggest fight that YouTube boxing has, you know. I would say that the peak so far still is KSI versus Logan 2. Uh, you know, sold out that arena. Big, huge arena. Great crowd. Great fights on that show. And I think the only way that is going to top that is KSI versus Jake Paul. You know, again, um, I won't go too much into this until we get into that story. But this has been inevitable. This is the fight that was originally supposed to happen was KSI versus Jake Paul. So. Uh, I'll, I'll get back into that in a little bit, but the again, like I said, there is a very interesting and perfect path for KSI and Jake Paul, um, but the wrench that could possibly be in this plan is Gibb. Uh, you know, Gibb, of course, you know, whenever he fought Jake Paul, it was very unfortunate. Uh, he certainly has the skill to fight and potentially beat, especially at that time, a Jake Paul, but just something got to him, whether it's nerves or just something like that, where it, it didn't happen. Uh, it didn't happen the way he wanted to. It didn't happen the way we wanted to see that fight go. Um, so I think that after, I think after Gibbs last fights, 
uh, where he's definitely redeemed himself, shown he's still like this boxing machine. He's an animal in a completely different way than a KSI is. Um, I think this is the interesting thing because in Austin McBroom's first fight, I was not really impressed with Austin McBroom because the person he was fighting was not impressive whatsoever. He wasn't throwing the jab. He wasn't really going. It was the same thing we saw with the KSI Logan fights is that uh, McBroom's opponent did not have that killer instinct. He was he was a good as far as like the fundamentals of dodging and all this stuff, but there was no game plan. There was no offense. And so that's something that I think is going to be very different and is going to potentially drown Austin McBroom is that Gibb is aggressive. Gibb does not worry so much about the defense as he does the offense. He's getting in there. He's going in low, getting those body shots, you know, doing some uppercuts, doing some jabs where he can. And I think that's going to be a real problem for Austin McBroom. And with that, if Gibb fights, if I'm sorry, if Gibb wins, that throws a complete wrench into this whole plan because KSI and Gibb are buddies. Uh, there's a potential that they would fight each other, but it's very unlikely. Um, they both have really said that they don't want to fight each other. And I mean, they've sparred together, so they know each other really well. So that's another thing where it wouldn't maybe be an exciting fight um, just because they know each other. But again, that fight is going down July 30th. Uh, you can find that on pay-per-view on Social Gloves' official website. Check it out. Um, so the next part of this is going to be something that's really, I guess I'll just go straight into it, is the Jake Paul and Tommy Fury fight. Um, I mean, this is something that it was supposed to happen a couple months ago. Uh, Tyrone Woodley had to stop in because Tommy Fury got injured. This is not... Uh, I guess let me let me get into this a little bit. So just uh, yes, yesterday, uh, there was something released. Uh, I'm looking at this from the MMA junkie that they reported Tommy Fury was denied entry to the U.S. over ties with wanted crime boss Daniel Kinnan. Um, this is something that I'm not completely surprised on just because if you know anything about the actual Fury family and especially uh, their father, like he's... He's not allowed to enter the U.S. because of crime stuff. Um, not saying that that necessarily makes him a bad guy, but it's just how law works. Um, and that was something that even the last couple of weeks, that was something where uh, Tommy was trying to, in my eyes, get out of the fight because of the fact that Tyson and, uh, and his dad could not come to the U.S. to be in his corner. And so there was a whole thing of where Jake's, um, Tommy was trying to basically say, well, if I can't have my people in my corner, then you can't either. And Jake, of course, agreed to it. Uh, I mean, everything that Tommy, every excuse Tommy has given Jake Paul, he's said, okay, let's, let's do this. You know, I'll do that if that's what gets you to fight. And so this is something where it's just, uh, you, you can't, you can't back out of a fight a second time. Um, you are a fury. You are a heir to a legendary boxing family. You know, of course, Tyson, the heavyweight champion in the world, being his older brother. I mean, there's just a lot of things where uh, the first fight there was injury and like clips of like his training, especially with Tyson, where he was just throwing this medicine ball. Just eh. it was unneeded, but also at the same point like. 
there is that pressure. And that's something that I suppose that that family is putting on Tommy is this pressure because Tommy, he's had a couple fights under his belt, but he's not really been impressive. Um, he, he has some decent fundamentals, but for, for my money, I mean, I'm, I think Jake Paul wouldn't wipe the floor with this guy. Um, you know, I know that's controversial possibly in the actual boxing world, but I just don't see any universe where Tommy Fury beats Jake Paul. Um, and that's not saying that he can't continue to grow and eventually, you know, maybe do a super fight, you know, uh, run it back for a second fight. But right now with the things we've seen, I don't think that Tommy Fury can win. And potentially, if this fight's even supposed to happen, I mean, this fight is supposed to be happening August 6th in Madison Square Garden. That's a huge deal. Uh, and if Tommy backs out of this again uh, in something that is technically even bigger than what they were going to do with the, the first original fight, you're in Madison Square Garden. Whether you're a wrestling fan, whether you're a U MMA fan, whether you're a boxing fan, Madison Square Garden is the mecca. You know, it is the place that everyone dreams of competing at. And if if you're scared and you can't if you can't get to that and you just back out again to a YouTube boxer, I think Tom it's the same thing with uh Deji, uh KSI's brother. Just hang it up. Don't don't worry about it. Like your your brother has this, you know. You don't you don't have to box. I mean, from what I know, Tommy is kind of involved in some reality TV shows and is kind of like his girlfriend is more famous than than he is. So I mean, he he has a good life. He doesn't have to do this, you know, but if it's just a bad lens, you know, it's a bad lens if Tommy backs out again, uh Hopefully, uh, hopefully they're able to get the situation figured out because I want to see the fight. I want to see Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury because I want to see how much Jake Paul has improved because the last fight, uh, especially with, I guess, technically the last two fights with Woodley, I mean, Jake Paul seemingly has kind of stagnated in his progress. You know, with each fight, he was improving and improving and improving. But once he got to those Woodley fights, you know, Woodley was really getting on him in that first fight. You know, of course, the clip where he knocked him out of the ring. Um, I mean, he, he he has not improved in those last two fights. And of course, you know, the last one, it was like a week's notice or so. But I just think that it's something where Tommy can't afford to lose this opportunity. And... Jake Paul, whether this fight happens or not, is just going to keep moving on. You know, I saw just a, a couple minutes ago, him and KSI have been going at, on a spat on uh, Twitter. And it, there's plenty for Jake Paul, but is there plenty for Tommy Fury? Have to wait to find out. So our next story is something that is very nostalgic uh, for pro wrestling fans. Um, this has been this is from uh, the Mall of America website. You know, they put out an official report for the first time in 27 years since WCW ran Monday Nitro there. Pro wrestling returns to the Mall of America. First wrestling is taking over the Huntington Bank Rotunda on Saturday, September 10th for a wrestling event like you've never seen before. Uh, this is something that it's quick. It's a quick story. It's nostalgic. 
it's something where if you're a pro wrestling fan, it's something that's ingrained into the history. You know, you see Lex Luthor come out in that stupid fucking poofy shirt, uh, you know, and just the, the image of seeing a, a mall and then a wrestling ring is something that's incredible. I know there was that clip that went viral uh, at another mall. Uh, they did a wrestling show and that guy like jumped off the balcony. I mean, WCW when they ran in the the Mall of America was completely different to modern day professional wrestling, especially independent pro wrestling. So I expect to see some crazy, crazy gifts uh, and some crazy moments from this show. Speaking of uh, awesome returns, Ring of Honor uh, after the media scrum, uh, the media scrum after Forbidden Door, Tony Khan and on Twitter also. Announced the return of Ring of Honor, of course, Saturday, July 23rd from Lowell, Massachusetts, Death Before Dishonor, keeping, of course, with uh, the previous pay-per-view names that Ring of Honor has had and the history of those pay-per-views is something I love to see. Um, you know, the, the, they showcase the brand new Ring of Honor logo. Um, it's something that I'm very interested in seeing because I think with a lot of the things, especially we'll talk about with some of the people on the show of Forbidden Door and where that leads them with Ring of Honor and things we've learned. Um, I think this is going to be interesting. And I'm really, really hoping that maybe a little bit before this show actually happens, I'm hoping that this TV deal gets announced because I think if you just keep doing the pay per views, uh, I think that is going to hurt the new ring of honor long-term. Um, you know, it sucks that they aren't able to just, you know, work with Sinclair because of course, AEW and Tony Khan have that relationship with Warner media discovery. Um, they want any wrestling stuff on their channels because otherwise you'd be competing with yourself. Um, I just think that it's something that they really need to get on, whether it is a weekly show on, a true TV, TBS, TNT, or it's a weekly show on HBO Max. You know, uh, it, it's something that I really think they need to do for the brand just because there, there's demand. There's demand to see another weekly show, and I would really love to see what this next iteration of Ring of Honor truly will be week to week. And our final story at the top of the show is, of course, that All Elite Wrestling is returning to New York City in Queens, New York at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Last year was an absolutely unbelievable show. I believe it is still their uh, highest uh, attended show ever. I think it, I believe it was around like 18,000 people uh, were there. It was just simply incredible. Uh, you know, you had Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson for the AEW world title. I mean, that was an incredible show. Uh, it's something I've actually debated about going to. Um, but I, I have some other things that exact week and it would make it hard. So maybe next year, maybe next year I will go since this is something the last month or so, uh, Tony Khan has talked about is that they want to make grand slam their big tentpole event of the, the year, as far as like weekly TV. Um, and I think that's awesome. I think, uh, Arthur Ashe is such a unique venue uh, and it's something that early in aw you know you had on the jericho cruise and stuff like that 
And back in the day, you had Bash at the Beach with Surrounded by the Fools and stuff like that, where I think the more interesting venues you do, the more interesting it is to not only casual viewers, and of course, there's a whole conversation of if casual wrestling fans even exist, but I, I just think that this is gr- going to be another great show. Since it's the biggest dynamite and rampage of the year, it's going to be huge. It's going to have some huge matches. I mean, I could, if somehow uh, CM Punk is ready to go, I could see them do Punk versus Moxley for the undisputed AEW title there. Um, even then, you know, you could find something else, have, you know, have a Danielson who should hopefully be back by then uh, go for the title again. Just something. I think this show is going to be magical. Uh, of course, the tickets for that show go on sale July 22nd. Um, the actual date of the show is going to be September 21st. So uh, if you're interested in going, make sure to uh, to be ready for the, the tickets and get on pre-sale because I know especially for uh, – Forbidden Door, it was insane to just watch how quickly the tickets went away on pre-sale. All right, so now we are here for the full show, Forbidden Door. Um, I'm going to be talking about this, breaking down the matches and stuff like that, some general information about Forbidden Door. Of course, uh, it took place in the United Center in Chicago, Illinois, this last Sunday. Um, Great show. Uh, I thought that it was one of, if not the best, pay-per-views AWS put on. Uh, as well as kind of in the, the five, four or five years that I've been watching New Japan, the best pay-per-view potentially they've also done. Um, you can put some comparisons as far as, you know, uh, directly the next comparison to a Forbidden Door is the Ring of Honor and New Japan show at Madison Square Garden. I think this completely blows that show out of the water. It is insane how... I. I felt like with that show, there was a lot of issues as far as like, it felt there were two shows going on at the same time. You know, of course, there was the the classic thing of after the tag title match with the Enzo and Cass situation that no one in New Japan knew about. People were hot about it, and it it suffered. It really killed a lot of the hype for, for Ring of Honor at that point. And this show did not feel like this. It felt like a full, like, full show that made sense like they actually came together and worked together of course there's political stuff behind the scenes that many of us will never ever hear about but it it was a good show uh top to bottom i thought it was great some of the buy-in show uh some of the matches on the buy-in i thought were phenomenal um main show was pretty phenomenal i mean I'll, i'll be getting into that in a bit but uh, of course, Tony Khan has mentioned that they've made over a million dollars in ticket sales. So I believe this and Double or Nothing were like the two biggest uh, gates, I believe, in AEW history. Uh, it, just absolutely insane. And then obviously, it's still going to take a little bit for the full pay-per-view numbers to really come out. But they've mentioned that it's already around $5 million in pay-per-view revenue. Uh, that is incredible. Uh, that's still a really decent... Uh, Decent number. We'll have to see where it ranks on AEW's rank of uh, their pay-per-views. And uh, per Russell Ticks on Twitter, which I highly recommend you guys following, especially if you want to go to shows or just general information, he had the attendance roughly around 15,323 in attendance. Um, personally, being there, I mean, it was nearly full. Uh, there were a 
a couple spots like in my area, which if you watched, you probably saw me. I was in pretty much every single entrance since I was on the ramp. Um, there were a couple spots in my areas that were open, but for the most part, you would never notice it not being in my specific spot. Um, overall, like live, this is my second. This is my second AEW show I've been to. I went to the uh, Dynamite before All Out last year, and that was an incredible show, incredible crowd, incredible seats I got. Uh, but this show was next level. This was crazy. Uh, not only the crowd, not only the matches, but for me too. Uh, I really let go a lot, and I just enjoyed the show. Uh, I was occasionally you know get some pictures and some videos but like for the most part i was just trying to live in the moment i was trying to respect the the professionals that were in there and i was just having a great time so let's start breaking down this card so the first match you had goto and hashi defeat the factory i mean qt is a great heel you know he is he is someone who absolutely thrives in like that chicken shit heel uh spot I thought he was absolutely great. Um, great showing from Goto uh, as well. Like he was the big standout in that match. I mean, especially in my area of the crowd, like everyone was going insane for Goto. And I also want to say, like from the start, after the from the the first entrance of this pay per view, this Chicago crowd was hot. We were going crazy all night. Um, the only real time, and I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit, was, of course, during the women's match, there was a little bit of a lull. Some of that is to do with just how much energy the crowd was letting go, as well as some parts of the, the wrestling and the build of that match. Um, I'll get into that more so, but great match. Uh, personally, on my scale uh, of matches, I give this a two and a half star. Um, next, you had Lance Archer versus Nick Camarado. This was a good Haas match. This was a good match of being able to use two AEW wrestlers, um, and one of them can take that New Japan side. Of course, Lance Archer, formerly in New Japan, as well as uh, part of Suzuki-Goon. Um, this was a great match. This is the best I've personally ever seen, Nick Camarado. I mean, the, the guy has a good look. He has the muscles, you know. <laughs> He's got an interesting situation as far as all the facial hair, the long hair, the body hair, all that stuff. I think he's a great part of that factory faction. Um, and I mean, the for both the the first match and this match, it was funny just seeing how much heat that the factory got from the fans. I mean, even me, I was going in on QT. I was telling QT how much he sucked and you suck. And then whenever Camarado, of course, lost, I'm like, you lost just like QT, you know, just having fun with the show. Um, it was it was a great, great match. Uh, I mean, Archer is someone who I continue to be impressed with as someone who, outside of when I first started watching some New Japan, like I had never seen Archer before. Um, I missed when he was in uh, WWE and TNA. But, I mean, he is such a good big man monster that even though he's been off TV for a while, you can throw him on TV and he's a believable monster. You know that he's a threat, and that's something that is just not easy to do sometimes, is to keep someone looking like a threat even when they're off TV sometimes, or, you know, he's lost. Uh, from time to time, of course, Jake the Snake, his manager, isn't able to be there for health reasons or something uh, like that. 
I will say there was a bit, there was a decent botch right at the start as Lance was coming into the ring. Um, he was standing on the apron. He got up there and then he went to do a dive, uh, like a springboard dive onto Camarado and he landed on his head. Of course, uh, a couple months ago, Lance had that uh, neck injury where he, uh, I can't remember what Matt, who he was fighting, but he did the moonsault and he landed on his head. Uh, that made me very nervous. Uh, luckily, everything I've seen is that he's perfectly fine and he's okay. So uh, good, good save there. I was very, very happy about now this, uh, that match, of course, I rated three stars on our uh, our little the lockup scale. Um, this next match, this is where the crowd really, really woke up. You had Swerve in our glory defeat El Desperado and Connor. <laughs> I'm gonna mispronounce his name, Kanamaru. Um, they continued the potential of this Swerve in our glory breakup. You know, having it where uh, I believe this time it was. Lee hitting Swerve on accident. Um, and that was just something where you continue to build that storyline through the week, through this big match that realistically storyline wouldn't normally have big storyline implications, but they continued their storyline through there. The cr crowd absolutely loved Swerve. I mean, the entire match, there was whose house, Swerve's house, whose house, Swerve's house going on the whole time. And it was just insane whenever you saw you know he was getting worked most of the match um being breaking in his leg broken down by el desperado which again uh, el desperado is someone who i'm very impressed with great submission work uh the brock lock absolutely popped me uh, it was great uh he did a good job of keeping keith lee out of the match with being attacked and constantly having his legs worn down uh and they used that moment for when he was a game changer you know, uh, they had had a moment where uh, he was going to pick him up for the, the power bomb, and then he got his legs kicked out, which they'd been working the whole match. Leg kicked out. He just picked him up, hit hit uh, Desperado with the, his other partner, and then he did the power bomb. Huge pop, huge moment, great moment even. Uh, was just a great, great match. They had a whiskey mist spot too, which was great. I thought, oh, okay, they're gonna they're gonna do a cheating spot, get him out. That's gonna continue to build the dissension. But of course, Swerve and our glory actually won the match. Uh, after the match, uh, Ricky Starks and uh, Powerhouse Hobbs came out and cut a promo, basically setting up a team. Uh, or I'm sorry, a match between the two teams. Um, I think this is going to be an absolute barn burner. Whether it's happening on dynamite or the next pay-per-view i mean i think this is something that's great um i personally still believe that uh powerhouse and starks should have gotten the the tag titles at the this last pay-per-view but of course with the tag title match uh later on in this show and then who currently is the the aw world tag team champions the young bucks it that also makes sense too so this match i rated a four star so this is the last match, the main event of the buy-in. You had uh, the acclaimed and the gun club defeat uh, New the New Japan LA Dojo guys. Huge pop for the acclaimed. Huge pop for the acclaimed. Um, these guys are absolute stars. Once Bowens is like healthy and ready to go, I absolutely think these guys need to be in contention for those tag titles. They need to be in that conversation because they are 
killing it with promos. They are killing it with their in-ring work. Uh, you know, all these different aspects of professional wrestling are important. And AEW, even though it is a work rate company, if you can cut a good promo, which we saw, of course, with that uh, recent Christian Cage promo, I mean, it takes you to that next stratosphere. It makes you legitimate at an instant. And that's something that's super important to have. Um, Dan Housen, uh, right after their uh, entrance, had a promo and had a gift for the ass boys and played an ass boys song. Um, they ran off just leaving Billy Gunn and uh, Max Caster to fight a uh, big standout. As far as the LA dojo guys was Alex Coughlin, a uh, beautiful mustache, beautiful mustache. I love that. Um, he, he's someone who of course has graduated from the LA dojo, but he still is kind of in that early stage of just starting to begin to explore his personality and his character work. Thought he was really solid in the ring, really, really good. Um, Caster did a great job selling, of course. Having that four-on-one situation was something where it was really dependent and really hope spot build of, okay, we need to get Caster to, to tag in Billy Gunn, which, let me just say, Billy Gunn looked like he hasn't aged a bit. Obviously, his actual part in the match was not that long, but, I mean, he was looking great. The crowd popped for the suck it spot. Famouser, one, two, three. Perfect, uh, perfect match to finish up the buy-in. It gave this a three-star match. So your opening contest of Forbidden Door was the Jericho Appreciation Society and Suzuki, who defeated Eddie Kingston, Shoto Umino, and Wheeler Yuta. The crowd is absolutely ballistic for Eddie. Uh, this is something that makes me so happy because it's the same for me. I saw some Eddie Kingston promos in TNA uh, when he was working with Santana Ortiz for LAX. I saw some promos whenever NWA Power had just started. Um, I was like, man, this guy's good. Whenever he popped up during that uh, open challenge with Cody for the TNT title, Blown Away has become an absolute star in AEW, an absolute star in a lot of the crowd and the fans' minds. And he's someone who has so much belief, especially with his behind-the-scenes talk of his mental health struggle and like just the way he tells promos. I've never, I've never seen anyone tell promos the way that Eddie Kingston does. I believe everything he says. He he elicits such emotion. With some of his promos, of course, like the promo he had before the last pay-per-view, um, I mean, that was a masterclass. I think that was one of the best promos of the year. Um, but Eddie Kingston is a guy that I absolutely, especially, uh, you know, if you don't do a CM Punk versus Moxley for the title or a Daniel Bryan versus Moxley for the title, get Eddie Kingston in there, you know. Uh, potentially give him the interim belt, you know, then you set up Punk and Kingston too. I mean, there's a lot of ways they can go with it, but Eddie Kingston, absolutely phenomenal. Um, same thing for Wheeler Yuta. This guy was a, a star during this match to the crowd. He looked great. The Eddie and Suzuki face-off was just as stiff as you'd imagine it would be. Um, I loved how Eddie went to go do his machine gun chops to Suzuki, and they did nothing to him. Suzuki... Uh, basically was like, uh, what are you doing? This is nothing. And then he just hit him with one straight down. Perfect, perfect moment. Perfect selling. Of course, then Eddie then hit the machine gun shops on Jericho and showed how effective they were to also build up again the credibility of Suzuki. You show that 
okay, this guy, a legend in our mind, Chris Jericho, these machine gun chops hurt him, but this Suzuki guy, nothing. Complete no-sell, complete, like, doesn't face him at all, and then all it takes him is one. Same thing with someone like Walter. I mean, it's Walter, Gunther, whatever you want to call him. Um, just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Sammy hit Shooter with a bat and started to come back with an impressive run, but, of course, was hit by Chris Jericho to win the match with the Judas Effect. Uh, this match was really good, really good opener. Uh, I give it a 3.5 star. So, this next match. This is where possibly some of my, possibly some of my bias comes in for being there live. Um, FTR uh, versus Rapungi Vice versus the United Empire for the Ring of Honor and IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Um, I mean... This was a phenomenal match. Uh, FTR is on such a roll. They are, they are guys who, again, we've seen it, especially recently. Like you can put them in tag matches, you can put them in singles matches. They're gonna blow you away. Um, these guys are just simply incredible. I am so happy to see where they are now, and I enjoy this babyface run that they're on as well. I mean, they're just putting on banger after banger. Collecting the titles, belt collectors, baby. Uh, coming for those AEW World Tag Team Championships, I guarantee. But um, when FTR came out, they had a huge pop. Uh, you know, they went around doing the baby face, slapping hands. Um, was Dax, or I'm sorry, uh, it, it was Cash, uh, who he came over to my side and smacked my hand. I was going ballistic. I'm like, these are my guys. These are my guys, you know. and this is something too. Uh, a lot of the times we talk about this with kids and you know people just getting into wrestling, but like little moments like that, and then something I'll talk about actually uh, here in a moment. Um, those things are so important uh, to to rest, wrestling fans. You know those moments of being able to have your hands slapped by the rest some wrestlers you like, or being able to touch them or um, having, getting a t-shirt or something. Uh, just being able to get their attention is something that is so valuable and makes you fall more in love with wrestling. They did, they did a spot where Dax got injured early, had some shoulder injuries, and had to go to the back. Huge booze whenever he had to go to the back. Crowd was so deflated. We were so bummed out. We're like, oh, no. You know, and again, this is something where you buy into it. You know, when you have that connection with the crowd, people buy into the situation. Sure, I knew when Cash uh, Cash was going, or I'm sorry, when Dash, uh, Dax, <laughs> when Dax was going to the back, I knew he was going to come out. Of course he would. But I believed. I was sitting there, I was watching both teams take on uh, on Cash and beating him down and him not having anyone to be there to tag in and having to reluctantly tag in Rapungi Vice and vice versa. Like you started to sit there and you started to believe it and you're like, ah, this over, it's over. And then pop Dax comes back out, gets back in. They go on a roll. Absolutely phenomenal. Again, of course, uh, FTR won the IWGP heavyweight tag team championships. They now hold Three different tag team championships, the IWGP Heavyweight, the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships, and the AAA Tag Team Championships. So 
I mentioned it a little bit before. Young Bucks versus FTR3. Uh, this is going to be an insane match. And when you think about how long we waited to even get these two teams to collide the first time anyways, the fact that we're here coming up on potentially a third match for all the marbles, uh, essentially, and it having this beautiful story interweave through each match and that connects the one match to another. You know, it it's something that is so interesting and exclusive to professional wrestling. You don't see that with boxing or you don't see that in MMA uh, in very rare cases usually. Um, and it's just the beauty of professional wrestling and telling those stories. It was an absolutely phenomenal match. I put that at a four and a half star match. So this next match was, of course, the match for the AEW All-Atlantic Championship. You had Pack. You have Malachi Black. You had Clark Connors filling in for Ishii. And then you had Miro. Um, again, this is something that I can, uh, I can talk about that connection with the wrestlers and being a fan that has that connection. Um, can faintly see it here. Um, but I actually caught Miro's shirt whenever he ripped it off during the, the entrance and everything like that. And that was something that was so cool because going into this match, I mean, all of these guys, except for Clark Connors, I know, um, and all of these guys, I would have been happy. I was, I'm very into the idea of Malachi having this title, um, but I switched as soon as that situation happened. I was all in on Miro. I was like, let's fucking go. Miro's going to get this title rooting for him. Uh, and again, you know, Clark Connors is someone I've not necessarily not been able to watch yet or went out of my way to watch. He did not have any support uh, coming out. You know, there are very minimal people cheering for him. And that's something that, again, it's incredible about pro wrestling. By the end of this match, people were behind him. People were trying to cheer for him, wanted to see him potentially win this title. And that's a, a, a beautiful thing. And we'll say uh, Malachi's entrance is hilarious live because, of course, you can see in the dark in, in person. So, you know, you see him go from one spot to the next spot where the light comes on, then the next spot where the light comes on. It, it's, it's a funny little thing to notice whenever you go to see these shows live. But absolutely, Miro was the monster of this match. I mean, you had this match built upon Miro redeeming some people. Uh, and it was an absolutely great, great match. You had Black and Miro going back and forth throughout the match, which I thought was interesting. Uh, potentially uh, the next feud for the House of Black and Miro, I, I hope. I would love to see that. Um, they had set up a table on the outside, and Malachi was trying to put Miro through it. Miro reversed, was trying to put Malachi through it. And then Malachi was able to stagger Miro a little bit. Clark Connors came in, speared through the table, Huge pop, absolutely amazing, amazing moment in this match. Um, as they kept building and building and building, again, Miro eventually came back in, was essentially putting the uh, the game over the ac former, former accolade on pack, and it was looking like he was about to win that title. Uh, and then Malachi Black came in, used the Black Mist, um, and then they were able to get Malachi out of the ring, or I'm sorry, get... Uh, get uh 
they were able to get Miro and Malachi out of the ring, and then eventually uh, Pac went for the Black Arrow, and then the Brutalizer on Clark Connors and won. I think this is a great, uh, great first champion for this title. Um, they haven't necessarily explained the difference for this title yet. A lot of people believe it's a similar thing as what they do in stardom with one of their titles where you can only fight uh, the person, a person from a different country than what the champion is. I think that would be interesting. Of course, with Pac being the first champion, um, something that's kept Pac potentially from championship gold in his AEW run is constantly being over in England and not wanting to necessarily move back to America. Um, and I think this title would be a good ambassador title as far as you know occasionally obviously you'll have your matches on dynamite and rampage and pay-per-view but a lot of the times those defenses are going on in the indies in different parts of the world uh showing up in new japan showing up in ring of honor showing up in impact as just a way to be an ambassadorship of showing aw and getting aw um getting eyes on aw in different areas of the world i think that would be the perfect thing and pack is a perfect champion for that um, so I'm very interested to see what that what that ends up looking like. I rated this a four star match. So this next match was a lot of fun. Uh, crowd absolutely loved this match. You had your dudes with attitude: Sting, Darby Allen, and Shingo Takagi uh, versus the Bullet Club. Uh, of course, Matt and Nick Jackson, El Fantasmo. This match was great, especially when I watched it back when I got home. Um, seeing how they used the the dummy or however they did it with Sting being up in the rafters of the United Center, and then next thing you know, he's on top of the entrance ramp, and he's jumping onto the Bullet Club. Absolutely insane. I'm my co-host Dane, who uh, again is not here today. Hopefully, will be back Friday uh, for Friday show. He sent me a message and said, "Dude, this is making me feel like." I'm a kid and watching Sting as a kid again. Uh, and I'm right there with him, with him. I mean, this is the the Sting that I saw in TNA the first time I ever saw Sting. Um, this is a guy who's going out there, putting on these shows. And it's funny to think back about how when he first came back, we all thought he would just do cinematic matches. And then, of course, you know, the cinematic, cinematic match him and Darby Allen and Team Taz had was insane. Um, so... It's absolutely phenomenal to see. Uh, Sting looked great, even outside of that one segment. Just looked great and throughout the match altogether. There was a great spot where El Phantasmo was doing like going to do a back rake, and then he did a back roll, then a front roll, then a back roll, then a front roll, then a back roll, then a side roll, and then did the rake. Huge pop from the crowd, huge pop from the crowd. Then you had him tag in uh, Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson's in there like, Okay, you're new, young blood. Uh, I can keep up. So he did uh, uh, handstand, handstand, backflip, 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 handstand, handstand, and then did did it too. Huge pop once again. I thought it was a great use of comedy uh, in a serious match. Of course, I think the Bucks are one of the best at incorporating comedy while also having just these insanely athletic, crazy matches. You had Sting getting fired up. He's sitting there, no selling, doing the double death drop on the Bucks. And this was a funny moment where right as El Phantasma went and like turned around to see that, oh, the Bucks didn't actually take down Sting. Sting took them down. 
Sting turned, went out the ring, <laughs> and then he had to be told, no, you need to go, you need to be in there for, for this spot with Phantasmo. Uh, it was an absolutely great spot. El Phantasmo is someone, I've seen a couple of his matches, but isn't someone I keep a lot of tabs on. Um, absolutely impressive, athletic, um, charismatic guy, and I'm, I'm very excited to keep up with him in New Japan. This, again, a four-star match. Then comes to the halfway point of the show. And this is this is a hard hard match. Uh, not in as far as like the striking, but as far as its placement on the card. You've had this crowd going insane, you know, the last hour or so, um, and you have the women's title match. This match, the crowd was dead. Uh, when I was watching it back, it was dead, uh, and I don't think that is the quality of the performers and the champion Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm. I just think that there's the combination of the crowd being tired and then there not being a lot of build and kind of being a baby face versus baby face match. Um, I was trying my best to, you know, cheer on, you know, trying to get chance started, trying to, you know, keep the energy going. No one, especially in my section, no one cared. Uh, and it was unfortunate because they, they had a good match. They had a great match even. Um, biggest thing for me is I would have really struck with when the iron was hot, uh, and I would have put the title on Tony Storm, but I digress. Uh, again, great match. Both ladies, amazing, tremendous professional wrestlers, and hopefully uh, we get a Rosa versus Thunder, uh, I'm sorry, a Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm 2, and Tony Storm takes the title. One, I rated that one three stars. Now, this next match was, this is my match of the night, without a doubt. Uh, this is my match of the night. You had Orange Cassidy versus Will Ospreay for the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship. Um, I was so surprised to see in the buildup of Forbidden Door, all of these people completely shitting on this match and saying how... Orange Cassidy doesn't deserve to be in the ring with Will Ospreay or vice versa. I can't believe that they're making Will Ospreay have a match with Orange Cassidy. Did none of y'all watch the Orange Cassidy and Pac match? Like, the people who sat there and said, this is not going to be a good match, this is the worst match possible, are insane to me. I knew going into this pay-per-view, there's a potential this is going to be match of the night. This is going to be an incredible match because you have Will Ospreay, arguably one of the greatest professional wrestlers uh, in the modern times, and then Orange Cassidy, someone who is so in it with his character work and just knowing when to turn it up and like having that great contrast of styles between the two, I knew this was going to be a phenomenal match. I knew this was potentially going to be match the night, and I was not uh, disappointed at all. And let me just tell you, some of the near falls in this match absolutely killed me and the crowd. Not in a negative way, but in, oh my God. You know, uh, of course, you had Orange Cassidy kick out. Uh, you had Orange Cassidy kick out of the Hidden Blade. You had Orange Cassidy kick out the Oz Cutter. I mean, there was a moment there where I was like, oh my God, they're going to put an IWGP title on Orange Cassidy. I believed it. And I've, Talked about it throughout the main card. Uh, I believed uh, they let me suspend my belief, and I believed in this match. I was sitting there 
believing in Orange Cassidy that he was gonna win because Will Ospreay is just such a bad guy and such a a, a dick that I wanted to see him lose that title to Orange. I thought it is weird to have a match where Juice Robinson never physically gave up the U.S. heavyweight title. A little weird on a show that had an interim title match. Um, obviously, different companies, different booking philosophies, but it was a little weird to be like, oh, well, you know, this guy got injured, so we're not going to make him give up the title. We're just going to have an interim title. That way they have, a, you know, face-off later on down the line versus, you know, Deuce. His whole situation was weird and played as an angle, too. Um, but uh, back to the match, like, they did the Kawada kick spot, and that was great because, you know, you had Osprey really laying it in, really getting it in with Orange, and you had the opposite where, first off, Orange started with doing the, you know, the, the feint, like, you know, his normal gimmick of doing them, and after uh, after Osprey started to piss Orange off, he really started laying those in. Uh, some of those I really saw uh, from, from my seat getting real close to the eye and uh, up, upper cheek. Uh, I mean, th there were some stiff ones in that situation. Um, of course, Osprey won with the Stormbreaker. Uh, again, a phenomenal match, phenomenal match. Uh, I gave this match five stars personally. Uh, I thought this was uh, the best match on the card by far. Perfect match even uh, with the the two people involved. I thought it was phenomenal. Post-match, you had uh, United Empire attack Orange Cassidy. Rapungi Vice came out to, for the save, but they were also taken out. And then Shibata came out. The thought of Shibata coming out never really crossed my mind just because, I mean, you know, he had that exhibition match at Wrestle Kingdom, uh, but not really anything since. And I was like, okay, like, you know, and especially in an Orange Cassidy match segment, that was the last thing I thought of. But it was absolutely phenomenal. The crowd lost their minds. I was sitting there in disbelief that, you know, there's already with in, later in the show the disbelief that I'm seeing Okada live. But Shibata was a whole nother stratosphere of, oh my God. Oh my God, I get to see Shibata live. You know, obviously not in a match, but still see him in living color was incredible. Uh, he took out the uh, United Empire. And then he, there was a part where Orange Cassidy went, they were facing off, and then Orange Cassidy took his glasses, went to go put them on, turned them around, put them on Shibata. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, there was definitely a, a moment that was a little weird where Casty got out of the ring. Shibata was like telling him to get back in the ring, basically uh, challenging him to a fight. Obviously, they didn't they didn't really acknowledge that really on the broadcast. So I don't know if it's something that Shibata wants, but no one else kind of signed off on. But I think that would be a incredible match for Forbidden Door 2 uh, or, you know, the next joint show between these two. For this next match, you had the mystery uh, replacement for Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. We all thought it. We all kind of knew it. it. was still crazy that it was actually him. Claudio Castanoli, it's going to take me a minute to pronounce that, the former Cesaro, showed up uh, as a member of the uh, 
is a member of the Blackpool Combat Club. Had a absolutely phenomenal uh, match. Claudio looked lean. He looked real good. Um, I had some people tell me that he had been starting to do some training here and there over at the Flatbacks with uh, Sean Spears and Tyler Breeze in Florida. And I was like, okay, like it kind of seems, kind of seems like it might be him. But whenever we could see that nice Swedish cross flag, like we knew, okay, yeah, it's Claudio. Let's go. Um, they did a great job of building up to the swing in this match. I mean, it was probably, probably two to three minutes, maybe, maybe more close to five minutes into the match. The first time people started doing the swing and then Claudio looked around and was like, huh. Okay, you guys want to see the swing, and then he went for it, and then he was able to get out of it. Um, they built to that two to three times before he finally actually hit it. And I mean, the crowd by the time he actually started doing the swing was going ballistic for it. They were ready, they were excited to see it, and it was awesome. Um, something I actually saw on the road to Dynamite for Blood and Guts for tonight. Um, Zack Saber Jr. cut a great promo talking about how. Brian Danielson, uh, I came for a technical match, and Zara, I'm sorry, Claudio did not have a technical match with me. So until further notice, I'm still the greatest technical wrestler in the world, which I thought was great. Of course, keeping that alive, um, something he also said is that if you ever want to have a match, you have to come to Japan because I'm never coming back to America. A, great heel work, and also the rumors being that they want to do Forbidden Door 2 or all into kind of however whatever they end up calling it again um in japan next time i think that is phenomenal and again i mean danielson and zach saber jr is a match that i'm so sad we got robbed of in chicago but it's gonna happen and it's gonna be great and it just adds more time to build to it add more layers to it i I gave this match a four-star, absolutely phenomenal match. Great debut for Claudio and a great addition to Blood and Guts this uh, Wednesday and the Blackpool Combat Club. So on the top of the show, we'll be talking about the IWGP four-way. Um, so I'm going to go straight to the main event, Mox versus Tanahashi. As an Ohio boy, I was rooting for my guy. I was rooting for my home team. Uh, you know, the man just had a... Match at the Wrestling Revolver day in just a couple weeks ago. I mean, that is one of my guys. You know, coming into AEW, you know, obviously I followed the elite in New Japan and, uh, you know, people like Chuck Taylor and uh, Trent Beretta and, like, things like that. But, like, Mox was a guy that when I came back to wrestling in 2016, I really loved. You know, I missed the whole yes movement of Daniel Bryan. I missed the shield. I missed all this. So he was someone that I loved and seeing his ascension to the kingpin as the WWE champion of SmackDown Live was a great moment. When he came to AEW, great moment, great guy, the perfect guy that this company needed, especially hindsight being 2020, knowing him how he carried us throughout the pandemic uh, in AEW as the champion. This was a great match, and it really showed that Tanahashi, even though he's getting older, is not slowing down. I mean, I thought Tanahashi looked as good as I've ever seen him. I mean, the guy is still just as athletic, just as physical as I've ever seen. And I mean, he's the ace for a reason. He was the face of New Japan for a very long time, and there's a reason for that. And on the other side, of course, you had Moxley, who showed his grit and determination. Um, early on in the match, he was busted open. Uh, 
was bleeding all over the place. It was a lot of blood, actually. It kind of concerned me for a little bit. Um, in that match, you know, you had some great moments, but overall, John Moxley is your interim AEW World Champion. Uh, after the match, the Jericho Appreciation Society came out and they attacked both of them. Um, the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club came out, had a huge brawl to end the show. After the show went off the air, uh, Mox gave a go-home speech basically talking about how amazing of a show Forbidden Door was and how lucky we all are to live uh, in this moment of pro wrestling. And it was something that is absolutely true. Um, I Something I said to a close friend in text messages, I am so incredibly lucky uh, that I'm living in this moment of professional wrestling that I came back in 2016 and started watching because AJ Styles, one of my favorite wrestlers, when I stopped watching, was coming to WWE, and then I saw, oh, he was in Japan, and he was having all these great matches, and he's, like, the best wrestler in the world. And that led to, you know, of course, finding the Young Bucks and the Elite in Japan and Kenny and Okada and New Japan in general and then AEW. Um, so this is something I'm very thankful of. You know, I've, I was training to be a wrestler, and... When I stopped, I worried that uh, I would not like wrestling as much as I did. But I can say right now, um, I mean, my love for professional wrestling has never been stronger. It's stronger than even when I first started watching as a kid. Um, I am so happy and so lucky, and I love being able to be in Chicago for this event. Um, there was a great moment uh, <laughs> at the end of the show where Tana was going to the back selling you know all this stuff and there was a guy in front of me who was completely blitz drunk or like he was gone and like throughout the last couple matches he's been had this chicago cubs like lucha mask he's been please wear my mask take my mask please 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 and tana was coming up there tana please take my mask please take my mask and then he took it and then he put it on huge pop huge pop uh Again, just another way of being able to make keep a moment alive for people as a wrestler um, for your fans, and that was something that was absolutely perfect. Is the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship Fatal Four Way? Um, this was an incredible match. Uh, it was really, really close to uh, a five star match as well. Um, the The pop for Okada was the loudest pop of the night. Uh, something that, again. I got to see Okada live. That's something I never thought I'd be able to say. Um, you you have this interesting dichotomy of Jay White and, of the Bullet Club and Adam Cole of the Undisputed Elite um, having this team and working together and all this stuff. And then you have your two good guys. You have your baby faces of each promotion, your aces uh, of each promotion, Tsuchika, Okada, and Hangman Adam Page. Um, and you had this great moment at the start where they're all ready to go. They're all ready to go. Jay's talking about, this is because of me. This is because of me. Jay White slips out of the ring. Nope. Uh-uh. Not happening. And then Okada and Heyman look over to Adam Cole. Slips out of the ring. Uh-uh. They go and talk. And then Heyman and Okada sit there. They look at each other. And then they're like, shake hands. Let's do this. Let's get into it. They're just about to touch. Pull them both out of the ring. Perfect moment, perfect way of setting something up. Of course, uh, when all of this really started, there was the talk of 
Okada versus Hangman for the IWGP title. It was a great way of teasing that, and they did that throughout the match as well. It's like, oh, you want to see these two fight? Okay, and nope. You know, it, it, great heel work by Adam Cole and Jay White. Uh, great way of keeping those two apart as long as possible uh, until it made sense and it was worth it, and the crowd really were able to get behind it. So there was a part early on in the match where um, Hangman was going to powerbomb Cole onto the ramp. Um, and it's something that you, the camera is behind Hangman, obviously. And it, it's a couple seconds of a thing. But as, he's, as Hangman is coming up to Adam Cole to start getting him in position for, I'm going ballistic because hang, Hangman Page is my guy. Hangman Page is my guy in AEW. Um, I'm going bullet. Hangman, beat his ass, beat his ass. And uh, like, you know, I'd been doing that throughout the night with, you know, FTR and like certain other people. <laughs> but like, it was a great moment because you, he looked up, looked me in the eyes and like had this, dude, this guy's crazy. Okay. He, he's like, okay, I can get into this. And then he went to go do it. Jay came in, hit him in the back. Great moment. Um, of course, uh, Jay and them went back into the ring to start fighting. And then Hangman was laid out on the ramp. And then, uh, everyone's like, hey, man, Hangman, drink my beer, drink my beer. So he went up and he was crawling over and he got a sip of beer, gave it back to the guy, went back on. Beautiful, beautiful moment. Eventually, though, uh, Okada and Hangman finally do get into the ring and start going at it. And again, it was cut very short. Um, after that, we see something that was surprising. To me. I thought the roles would have been reversed. We saw Adam Cole turn on Jay White. Um, of course, obviously not a babyface turn or anything, but it was. But out of those two, they both have that backstabber sort of role. You know, you, of course, have this potential storyline building of uh, the segmentation of the elite and the undisputed elite when Kenny comes back. Um, I thought it was great to really show that Adam Cole is the guy who's going to stab you in the back because that's what Jay White did. He did it whenever he was in uh, in chaos to defect over to Bullet Club and so on and so forth. So I was surprised that Jay was not the one to turn on Adam Cole. I mean, I guess you could say last week on Dynamite, uh, he potentially did some of that with saying, no, Adam, I'm not going to fight you, even though he was clearly telling Adam, yeah, 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 you'll be the one to get the title match, you know. Just got to take care of Okada and Hangman first, and then it's just you and me. Um, I thought that was a really, really great moment. Um, J1 with the Blade Runner, Adam Cole. Uh, towards the end of the match, there was a part where Adam Cole seemingly got injured, and that's kind of where the match derailed a little bit. Um, very unfortunate. Uh, obviously, we don't know a whole lot. Potential that there's a concussion. It's not really fully explained. But uh, but we hope Adam Cole gets uh, gets well soon. There was a great moment after where again this storyline between Hangman and the Elite keeps on going, baby. The Young Bucks and Kyle O'Reilly come down, and of course, you know they first check on Adam Cole, and then you see the Bucks start to look over at Hangman, and Hangman's kind of looking back at them, and they're like, "Uh, hey, you are you okay?" Then Kyle is like what are you doing? You know, oh, let, we need to pay attention to, you know, Adam Cole and stuff like that. And then they're like, okay, okay. 
but still like looking at kind of glancing over in the corner of their eyes. Like I think obviously long-term with this elite versus undisputed elite uh, situation, it is going to most likely be, will be the reformation of the elite in Kenny Omega, the young bucks and hangman Adam page versus Adam Cole, Bobby fish, Kyle Riley, and one other person. Um, I think that'll be an interesting match down the line. Of course, we don't know for sure when Kenny is coming back, um, but hopefully it will be soon. Hopefully when he's ready, um, as we definitely don't want to rush him, want the cleaner to come back healthy. Um, to close out the show, we are going to have a breakdown of tonight's AEW Dynamite Blood and Guts uh, from the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, Michigan. Um, Currently, per WrestleTix, we're looking at around 12,260 people being at the show. Obviously, people do walk-up tickets as well, so potentially a little under 13 to 14,000 people there tonight. The only things announced as far as uh, so far is we are going to have Christian is going to have another uh, promo where he's going to continue this interesting storyline with Jungle Boy and uh, Luchasaurus, um, trying to see where that goes as far as are they going to turn uh, Luchasaurus heel? Is it going to be actually a heel and kind of be like Christian and Tomko's relationship back in the day uh, in WWE and TNA? Or is it going to be kind of like a Wardlow where he's kind of pulled into it and he doesn't really want to, but for a while he's going to have to go that route. That'll be an interesting development to see. Um, we saw just on Twitter earlier, I believe last a little later last night, that Dan Lambert challenged Orange Cassidy uh, to a match uh, between Eth his client Ethan Page, so Orange Cassidy versus Ethan Page going to be a great, uh, great match. Um, had Jade announce a TBS Open Challenge, so I'm very interested to see what that's going to be. Maybe we're going to get that Athena Jade match. Uh, it would be interesting to put that on a big show like this. And then, of course, we have the Blood and Guts match between the Jericho Appreciation Society, who at the pay per view won, uh, won the advantage uh, to show which of course that's how you should do uh blood and guts war games matches um that's going to be an interesting thing i just saw a promo uh earlier where william regal specifically said 9 30 um so potentially uh the match is going to start around 9 30 and have a full 30 minute blood and guts match that'll be an interesting interesting thing um i mean the last blood and guts match between the inner circle and the pinnacle was great um notwithstanding the drama of how Jericho fell on a mat, uh, which was a stupid argument in my opinion anyways. Um, but I think this is going to be an absolutely phenomenal match, a phenomenal dynamite coming up later tonight. Um, with that said, guys, uh, we are winding down here on the lockup, of course. Um, so just a little bit of a debrief here uh, at the end of the show. So again, normally I will be joined by my co-host, Dane, um, who was not able to be here. Hopefully he will be back for the Friday show. Otherwise I'll just do another solo show um, until he's back. Um, but so this is a show that's going to kind of be breaking down certain things. Occasionally we will do these live shows where we'll be watching the pay-per-view live and reacting to and explaining certain things, both in pro wrestling, boxing, MMA, YouTube boxing, all that stuff. Um, so that's kind of why there's kind of mishmash at the top of the show of all these different things. Um, Something that is interesting is so, of course, we'll go up uh, pretty much instantly up on YouTube. But also, uh, if you guys are kind of on the go and don't really necessarily need to watch the video version, um, we will have this available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts. Uh, 
most likely the same day as the the YouTube show, but the YouTube show is kind of the the priority, so we'll have that up, and then hopefully the uh, podcast links will go up later on in the day. But with that said, guys, I do want to thank you guys for coming in the ring to the lockup with me. I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, appreciate you uh, watching the show, and uh, I will see you guys this Friday for the next episode of the lockup.